It's time for Drive-By Theology with Dr. Steve Lawson and Todd Friel. Welcome to a great big cosmic play, and you're in it. This is Lecture 15 of Drive-By Theology, talking about theology proper, the attributes, the nature of God. We are going to tackle two in one lesson, and these properly fit under theology proper, but in a sense... They're a bit of a bridge into our next subject matter, which is anthropology, the doctrine, the study of man. So these two attributes, if you will, fit perfectly underneath theology proper, but rightly take us into a study of ourselves. Those two doctrines are providence and creation. Steve, how is providence and creation like a great big cosmic play? In creation, it is as though God built the stage for redemptive history. He built the universe in which all that will take place will come to pass. But with providence, God has pre-written the script and then orchestrates what will take place on the stage of history. Standing behind the doctrine of providence is the eternal decree of God, whereby God chose all and scripted everything that will come to pass for his own glory. That was in eternity past, and now within time, God will execute his eternal decree. That is what is providence. It is carried out on the stage of creation. And yes, we will address your present concern about what about free will, but that's why they call you Dr. Metaphor. That was a good one. Thank you. Thank you. That this is a stage. God built it. And he is the author. He wrote the script. We're the actors, which he actually energizes. So in every aspect, he's the star. It is all for God's glory. Whatever the Academy Award goes to, whatever the category is, he gets it. All praise to our God. Let's start with the doctrine of creation, that God is a creator. We know Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Isaiah 45.18. For thus says the Lord who created the heavens. He is the God who formed the earth and made it. He established it and did not create it a waste place, but formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is no one else. John 1, 3, New Testament verses affirming all things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. And as we heard earlier, creation, we see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit active in this grand act. Each member of the Godhead is involved in creation. They each play a part, and the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are all three the Creator. Hebrews 1-2, Genesis 1-31, 1, 1 Timothy 6-17, Psalm 19-1-4, Isaiah 6-3. These are texts that not just talk about God creating the world, but this is an important understanding of the doctrine of creation. Why He did it. We had talked earlier about glory. These verses describe that he created it for his glory. The whole earth is filled with his glory. That's why he made the place. It is to showcase his greatness and his grandeur, to put on display the magnificence and the majesty of his name. Did he have to do this? No, he did not. Why not? He chose to do it simply because it pleased him. So... Everything that we see, everything that's happening is because of his will. It is not out of necessity. No. 
There are two verses that you can put underneath that category. Revelation 4.11, worthy are you, Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and because of your will, not because of necessity, they existed and were created. God didn't need us. He didn't need this. He did it because he wanted to. Psalm 33, 6 and 9. Creation exists for God's purpose and for God's pleasure. Yes, and that is why he has created us. Psalm 115, verses 1 and following. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory because of your loving kindness, because of your truth. Why should the nations say, where now is their God? But our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of man's hands. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. They have eyes, but cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They have noses, but they cannot smell. They have hands, but they cannot feel. They have feet, but they cannot walk. They make a sound with their throat. And the psalmist then said, and those who don't believe in the true God become just like them. Yes. Worthless. Now, God created the world, not out of necessity, but because he willed it for his pleasure, for his glory. How does God write the script to receive glory? God has written the script that through his church, his glory would be manifested. Ephesians 3 9 and 10 speaks of God who created all things so that, meaning here's the purpose, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known through the church. God will put his glory on display through the church to the world. Does God not get glory from an apple tree? Yes, God does receive glory from an apple tree. A nice sunset. Yes, he does. But... What he is stri- all of those things are subordinate to the main way, if you will, to demonstrate his manifold attributes is through the church, which means through the cross, through the gospel, through Jesus. Through the greatness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he did all of this, we want to make sure that we understand, out of nothing, ex nihilo, <laughs> that God didn't work with what was there. He didn't evolve it. He actually just made it. He spoke it into existence by the breath of his power. These days, evolutionists say, well, maybe everything always existed. Uh Uh-uh, that stands in stark contrast to what the Bible says. God is the only eternal being that always existed. The stuff was made. Out of nothing also battles pantheism. Yes, which says that God is creation, that God is in the tree, that God is in the rock, and that is absolutely a contradiction of scripture the creation can never be confused for the creator which is why this particular theology proper is a bridge into anthropology when we study god the creator we are struck that there is a distinction between creator and creation one of us in this picture is a whole lot bigger a whole lot more majestic a whole lot more powerful than the other one And that actually teaches us something about ourselves because it teaches us our role in this shebang. Yes, it teaches us that God has created us for himself, that God has made us in his image, that God has created us to worship him and to carry out his plan and his purposes here on the earth. And this would inform a lot of issues in our life, starting with our worship. 
how we approach corporate worship as a body. Yes, it's not for us per se. It is principally for God, though there is great blessing that comes to us. Nevertheless, it's not about us. It is about God. The world screams, you're just the best. You're just a mate. You can set your mind to it and do anything. This doctrine says not so much. It's a slam dunk to that. This doctrine says that all things are from him and through him and to him. Therefore, to God be the glory forever. It humbles us. Job got humbled big time when God asked all of those rhetorical questions. Uh, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? I created the place. You didn't. Why are you opening up your yammer? Uh, Job, you're breathing my air. You're living on my planet. You're drinking my water that our entire life is for God. Now, it humbles us, but it also encourages and comforts us that we understand God is running it. He's in control. He's big enough. He's powerful enough. And he... He has a handle on it, even as we watch Fox News. Yes, that God is totally in control of what he has created. As we said, there's no maverick molecules in the universe, and that all things are carrying out his purpose. Psalm 148, verse 5, Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded, and they were created. Revelation fourteen seven, and he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him Who made the heaven and the earth and sea and springs of water? The doctrine of creation is the stage. Now we start to get into the script, another column underneath theology proper. The providence of God in layman's terms means... It means that God is orchestrating all that comes to pass for a greater purpose and toward a greater end, which is the ultimate manifestation of his glory that the entire universe would give praise to him. Let me share with you some very formal definitions of the doctrine of providence. And you, shake your head, nod your head, preferably talk, because this is audio, if you agree with these definitions. Fair enough? Fair enough. God personally and actively preserves and governs all that he has made. Correct. Preservation. He is the personal and ultimate agent responsible for the existence and maintenance of the created order. Correct. Concurrence. He is the primary cause of all things working through secondary causes. Correct. Government. He actively directs the created order to fulfill his purposes. Correct. God controls everything each day. Correct. Providence is the almighty and ever-present power of God by which he upholds, as with his hand, heaven and earth and all creatures, and so rules them that all things, in fact, come to us not by chance, but from his fatherly hand. Amen. God causes sin. Incorrect. Why? Because God is not the author of sin. But all these things just said that God is orchestrating everything. No, he works through secondary causes, as you said earlier. He doesn't cause the secondary causes. No, he does not. God is not the author of sin, though he is the author of the script that includes sin. So he wrote this, but he's not the one responsible for our wickedness. That is correct. God uses sin sinlessly. Yes, As always, we need Bible verses to support all of this. That is what systematic theology is. You just heard the summary of the doctrine of providence, but we didn't create this doctrine because we kind of like the idea. 
This doctrine is the result of the study of all of the Bible verses that talk about this issue that point us in this direction. So what are the Bible verses that describe the aspect of providence that God is preserving everything? Hebrews 1 verse 3 says that he upholds all things by the word of his power. Whatever's happening, the, the earth is spinning his power. He is keeping the planets in place. He's keeping the earth on its axis at the angle of its tilt. He's the one keeping the rotation of the earth. He is the one sustaining the air supply, the water supply, the laws of gravity, the laws of centrifugal force, the laws of thermodynamics. God is the one who is upholding all of the laws of science and order in creation that he put into place. See, that was that was a little scary. You You said that God is responsible for air supply. And I started thinking of the 80s band, and that kind of just panicked me a little bit. I understand. All right. Divine preservation is seen in Colossians 1, 16 through 17, specifically verse 17. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And when Paul says all things, that means me. That means you. He is the one who is preserving our life. He really doesn't have to take our life. He just stops giving it. And we're done. And we're done. Okay, any other Bible verses? Well, you just cited Colossians 1 and 17. There would also be Acts 17 and verse 25, where it says, God is not served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. And then verse 28, for in him we live and move and exist. Second Peter 3, 7, by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept. In other words, God is the one who's making sure that everything is running until the day of judgment. Yes. Psalm 145, verse 15 and 16, the eyes of all look to you, referring to God, and you give them their food in due time. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. All living creatures, whether it be human or animal or fish, whatever, are dependent upon God to sustain them. And that, that's a pretty good table prayer if, if you want to use that one. Yes, right thank there. you. Psalm one thirty six twenty five: who gives food to all flesh for his loving kindness is everlasting. Matthew five forty five. All throughout Scripture, the reason everything exists, because God created it, the reason that it continues to run and will continue to run until he turns the page on his script, which says, now is the end. He's the one who keeps it going. Preservation is a part of God's providence. Divine concurrence, big fancy theological term, is another part of providence. Yes, and what that means is, is that God is the primary cause of every action performed by God his creatures, and yet these creatures are the secondary causes of every act they perform. This is so important because how many times have we heard really not very comforting funeral sermons that God is really sad about this too, and it just, wow, he was bummed out when he discovered that this person died. This is far more comforting to understand divine concurrence. Yes, that God is actively governing all that comes to pass, either directly or indirectly. You probably don't remember this, but I do very fondly. One of the first times that I ever met you was interviewing you (laughs) on September 11th. Yes, I do remember that. Because... 
theologians, I know because I interviewed some of them and they made my head crack open like an egg, were saying, hey, well, God is just as surprised about the planes flying in the tower as, whoa, 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 because he couldn't harmonize. And again, I don't want to use the name of Greg Boyd. He couldn't harmonize the idea that evil exists and God is good. Divine concurrence helps me to harmonize these two concepts. Yes, that God is in control of his entire universe and that even calamity is under the purview of the sovereignty of God. But he he permits those things. He didn't cause evil to happen. We do. He did not cause evil. That is correct. Now, that's how we harmonize that far better than, well... Let's see what God can do with this one. That horrifies me. Yeah, see if God can make lemonade out of lemons. Besides, it's contradictory to so many verses like Job 38, 32, Psalm 135, 6 through 7. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and in earth. He causes the vapors to ascend. He makes the lightnings for the rain, who brings forth wind from his treasuries. So what we see from that also, by the way, is God is in control of the weather department. When a tornado hits the trailer park in Oklahoma, God. Yes, I have been in Mobile, Alabama. We're in Hurricane Alley. And when those hurricanes come blowing up into the Gulf of Mexico, what a comfort it has been to preach to our church that God is directing the hurricane, the very path that it will take. Because if if you're in Christ and you're his child, it's for your good. Yes, to work out sanctification in our lives. Animals are underneath his sovereign control, but their own instincts, secondary cause. So the animal does what it does because of God. He empowers it, if you will. But if they maul a human being, that's not God. Secondary cause. Yes. Divine concurrence. God is the primary cause of everything. The creatures themselves are the secondary causes of every action they perform. So could I summarize it and say, if it's good, God, if it's evil, man. Yes. But it's all underneath the providence of God. Yes. Proverbs 16.9, the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his step. We heard Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart, it's like a river. God just moves it any way that he wants to. Even death, as you mentioned, Psalm 139.16, your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written, there's our play analogy. And as yet there was not one of them. God determined that too. The day of our birth and the day of our death. And every good and hard thing in between. Amos 3.6, if a trumpet is blown in a city, will not the people tremble? If a calamity occurs in a city, has not the Lord done it? And all of Lamentations 3, very clear. Jeremiah said all of these hard things, these calamitous things, they come from God. And ultimately, the big exclamation point on the doctrine of providence is redemption. Yes, we see this ultimately in the death of Christ Acts 2, verse 22, men of Israel, listen to these words, Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God, etc. But in verse 23, this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. It was God's eternal plan and purpose, yet evil men carried it out. And we celebrate that because of the doctrine of providence. This was Lecture 15 of Drive-By Theology.